Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everybody. This week we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 9, The Convict. In this episode, a convict is in the office, Jim plays a prank, and we meet an iconic Michael Scott character. The cold open to this episode shows Hannah has brought in her baby, and Pam immediately comes up and is just talking about how cute the baby is. And Pam says that she looks very cute. Hannah corrects her by saying that the baby is a boy. And Pam has made this assumption because the baby is dressed in all pink. And Hannah states that, well, that's his favorite color. So I guess shame on Pam for making assumptions about gender norms. Michael comes over and we know Michael's relationship with babies. He really likes babies and he asks Hannah may I implying he wants to hold the baby and Hannah's like yeah sure Michael walks past Hannah gets underneath a desk and starts talking like this is a look who's talking bit essentially and it doesn't really go over very well with anyone no one really reacts to it except with disgust pretty much And Michael, of course, thinks this is the funniest thing he has ever done. In typical Michael, he takes it a little bit too far. Right. He states, he says that acting as the baby, that he is thirsty and that he wants some milk. And that, of course, implies that he wants Hannah to start breastfeeding the baby so yeah that's that's a pretty easy firing for Michael I would agree with that yeah yeah when we get into the episode we see Michael Pam Angela and Kevin in the conference room and they are trying to figure out something that is just kind of confused the accounting department yeah they're on the phone with Jan And they're trying to determine why the branch would have been sent a check from the Federal Work Opportunity Program. Jan looks into it a little bit and says, well, that's money that is provided to a business who hires a reformed convict. Josh must have been taking advantage of the program because the Scranton branch uh, received the payment when the branches merged, which is actually pretty good bureaucratic uh efficiency if you will um considering that they're on top of it already (laughs) yeah i feel like in most cases that agency would have sent the check to the stanford office which would have been returned and they would have been like well (laughs) i don't know what to do now so yes So Jan uh, puts everyone on hold while she emails hr to figure out who that person that came from Stanford would be and while they're on hold everyone is speculating as to who the ex-convict is and it's not really even speculation as much as it is they're just 
listing off the people who came over from Stanford. Right. I don't think they say Karen. They don't. And we know it's not Jim because they weren't receiving this check when Jim was at Scranton. We know it's not Tony, we guess, uh, since he's already gone. Hannah is brought up. Andy is brought up, which, you know, Andy might fit that mold. Uh, And then Kevin says, what about Martin? And Michael just really immediately lashes out at him like, oh my God, you are so racist. Which is ironic coming from Michael, of course. And the problem is that Michael is the one being racist in this instance here because you don't want to make the assumption that one of the few characters of color is the ex-convict but you could also argue that wouldn't you be implying some sort of racism by saying that it is too dangerous to say that a person of color could have been the convict right michael is kind of doing the overcorrecting racism where he's like i can't be racist because i think that because i think it's racist that you would assume the black guy is the convict thing It turns out that the former convict is Martin. Everyone agrees to sort of just not bother him about it, except for Angela, who is overly sarcastic, but in such a way that people can just be like, okay, you said it. So she claims that she is a 90-pound female that works in an ill-lit, rarely visited corner of the office. So she says, yes, let's protect the convicts. And then everyone's like, all right, and packs up their stuff and leaves the conference room. And she's upset because she wanted that her sarcasm, her dripping sarcasm to be interpreted as like, oh, you're right, Angela. We should definitely be worried about this. But on the other hand, it's an open floor plan. No one has individual cubicles or offices. It's a very small office. I don't think office safety is at risk here. There is somebody sitting across from her that literally faces her all day. Kevin right. is looking at her all day. or is in. She is in his field of vision yes. all day. Oscar is still gone, but he, same thing. Is that where Andy is sitting right now? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's even more apparent that office safety is not at risk when we find out what Martin was convicted of. Some credit does need to be given to Angela, though, because she does hold up her end of the agreement in that she doesn't tell anyone about the things that were discussed in the conference room. That is fair. However, someone does, and it's not surprising to learn that it is Michael. He pretty much immediately goes to Dwight and tells him, hey, there's somebody in the office that's a convict, and it's Martin. And Dwight, for some reason like gets in volunteer Wakalana County sheriff mode. Yeah, think back to the uh, marijuana episode right. of season two yes. and how seriously Dwight took that. He takes this just as seriously. He does not yet know what the conviction was for, but he takes it very seriously that he does not like criminals of any kind. Right. He He acts as if Michael told him not that there's a former convict in the office but that 
there is an accused murderer in the office. And so Dwight's like going to save the rest of the office and question this guy. Like he is like Dwight's going to go take action. And Michael's like, no, 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 be cool, be cool. (laughs) And Dwight reacts by going over to Martin's desk and like getting acting like he's getting something from the file cabinets that are right behind Martin, but with like six bucks sticking out of the back, his back pocket, like tempting Martin to take the money. Yeah, to just take it out of his pocket with Dwight right there, to essentially pickpocket him. Yes, but Michael does not stop here because he really goes over the top in violating the agreement and basically just comes out to the entire office and says while standing next to martin's desk hey i'm sure it's gotten around yeah i'm sure everyone knows now that martin at one time spent time in prison and i don't want you to treat him any differently than you would anyone else And this is really where it gets problematic because Michael immediately makes it about race at this point. He does. He says, I still trust him. If you name a white person, I'll tell you a black person that I trust even more. Which is just an absurd exercise. Has literally nothing to do with the fact that Martin was once in prison for seemingly a short period of time. Martin still looks pretty young. Sure. Um... We don't know anything about it at this point in the episode. And these weren't just words by Michael. He goes through the exercise. He says, Pam, name a white person. And Pam says her dad. Yep. And Michael not say does not say Stanley or Martin. People that he knows, people that he has a relationship with, he says Danny Glover. I just want to point out that. Karen's example of a white person is not actually a white person. Good point. Uh, so that was just weird writing, um, in my opinion, there. Just maybe some more diversity is needed in the writer's room. Like Mindy Kaling's not going to, shouldn't be the only person of color here. Karen says Jesus, by the way. Yeah. Which, if we're taking the story at face value here, that would make Jesus a person of Middle Eastern descent. Correct. Later in the episode, there is a gathering in the break area, probably for lunch. Everyone's eating lunch, Everyone's eating yeah. lunch together, which is, is is one of those moments of story convenience because generally we, we see people eating in groups, but they aren't like the everyone in one area group that we see in this episode sometimes lunch takes place in the kitchen at the small kitchen table there other times it's in the break room where there's several maybe three tables set up with some chairs in there so everyone's decided to be in the break room with the vending machines today right so we have the majority of the characters are in there uh ryan stanley kevin pam meredith right phyllis i think is in there too and Martin is really good about this the entire episode. He 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 essentially addresses the elephant in the room. He's like, "Do you guys want to know what I was in for?" 
Yes, Michael walks in at that moment. He's like, nope, nope, we shouldn't talk about it. I think there is a balance. I don't think it necessarily needs to be this hush-hush secret, but by the end of the episode, I think that Martin really overplayed his hand a little bit. Sure, I get, yeah, I could see that. Martin says that he uh, used to work in finance and he got into some insider trading and he got caught and was sent to prison. So this was the exact same thing that Martha Stewart went to prison for. And we know she... Probably not on the same scale, obviously. <laughs> Probably not. We know she wasn't in for very long, but insider trading is a federal offense. I believe it would be like an SEC violation. Yeah. So we're talking about federal offense, federal prison, and that's why Martin was working at Dunder Mifflin under a federal program. So he's not involved in a state. He's not in a county jail. He's not in a state prison. He's at a federal white-collar prison. Right. And from the description of his day-to-day life in prison, it is very clear he was in a minimum security white-collar prison. Yeah, club fed, if you will. (laughs) This is the this is probably a similar uh, prison that Rod Blagojevich was in. I would say somewhere nice in Denver area. Yeah, and people are just asking questions. You know what? What did you do? What was your day like? And and Martin's like it wasn't that bad. You know we yeah, boring. It was boring. You did the same thing every day, but you kind of had time to yourself to. He says that they had watercolor classes and that they had to they offered business classes right. taught by Harvard Business School guys and that they, you know, got time outside and there's a football league. Like it sounds like You know what it sounds like, Curtis? What's it that? It sounds like our life under coronavirus quarantine. Good point. Good point. Where you are just trying to find time little, to fill your boring. days. Yes. <laughs> But I don't think that Martin is necessarily overselling. I I do get what you say in that he's overselling his experience. And I know I, he's trying to be real about it. Sorry to interrupt. I know the, he's trying to be real about it, but he the he doesn't know Michael well enough yet. Let's just say that. He doesn't know Michael well enough yet to be like, I should just shut my mouth. Sure. But it is not any fault of his that things get a little sideways. No, because Kevin and Pam really jump on this idea that prison, as described by Martin, sounds a lot better than some of their days at Dunder Mifflin. They really jump on the idea that they get two hours of outdoor time. Right. Pam's direct quote is, kind of sounds like prison is better than Dunder Mifflin. And Michael loses it at this point. Yes, for someone that views the office and everyone in it as best friends and a family and just the best place that you could go to and why would you not want to spend your days here, that statement cuts him deep. So as we have seen before, Michael has really taken affronts to the work environment at Dunder Mifflin and the role that Michael plays as kind of the purveyor of all good things related to Dunder Mifflin, the guy that makes the office fun and kind of the dad of the office. Anything that 
is an insult to any of those things, Michael takes it personally. He does. He does not do a good job. As we've said several times over several episodes, everything related to this office is so personal to him. Jim being back at the Scranton office means a return of pranks between he and Pam. And in this case, the prank is at Pam's expense. Yes, Andy decides to call up Jim from, let's say, five feet away and just let Jim know that he's horny right now. And Jim's like, okay, can't help you with that. So Andy decides he's looking for someone to bang. So he starts kind of going around just whoever he can see in the office. Starts with Kelly. Jim says, well, she's dating Ryan. Andy doesn't care about that. As soon as he learns from Jim that Kelly is high maintenance, he says, next. Asks about Angela. Jim, <laughs> Jim doesn't yet know at this point that Angela and Dwight are dating. He mm-hmm. doesn't have any idea. All he knows is that Angela is possibly the least fun person and most judgmental person that he's probably ever encountered. So he's like, leave that one alone. Which is funny because... Andy and Angela end up engaged uh, in the next season. Andy asks about Pam. And Jim sort of perks up in this moment because he realizes, and as he tells to the camera, I know what Pam likes. But more importantly, I know what Pam hates. So he's playing this prank on Pam by giving Andy all this information. So he tells... Andy that Pam loves frisbee golf or frothing. No, it's it's disc related activities. Okay. So so we have to assume that Pam hates both disc golf and ultimate frisbee. Yeah, okay. And Andy says that he lives to froth. He started a uh, frisbee golf league at Cornell. Which side note, Curtis, have you ever been <laughs> frothing? Once officially, and my friends and I used to play in our neighborhoods where we would just have a regular Frisbee, and we, each of us would have our own Frisbee, and we would go out and we'd be, we'd just go, um, that tree way down there is the hole, and that's probably like a par five. And we would just walk around and do that. So, in early college, I dated an Andy, um, let's say, let's call him that, Um, in the sense that he, this guy that I dated, was super into Frisbee golf. Mm. He had um, many different sizes and types and a whole, like, bag holder and everything. Yep, yep. He started the golf league at our college, um, got a bunch of people around to play. I played once, and then he said he would never play again with me. So I, yeah. The relationship obviously did not last very long, but he was uh, he was a froth enthusiast. Clearly, if he is valuing his froth time over his time, time. Yeah, time to do things with you. It was because I slowed him down on the course. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Since I had never played before, so... Yeah, there's our there's our froth uh, 
tangent. Jim also tells Andy that Pam loves hunting. She loves the Six Flag ads. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Very yeah. much so. Oh, my God. People dressed up as this old man, dancing old man for Halloween. This It was the most annoying ad, but effective because people still remember it, what, 10, 12 years later? Right. In Pig Latin, for some reason, it makes the list of things that Pam loves but actually hates. Andy puts this advice into play immediately and goes up to Pam and just ro- basically rolls off all, the all of these things. He doesn't really bring up hunting. No. But he does ask if Pam wants to just go and throw a disc around and... Listen to country music. Listen to country music. And he says something in Pig Latin... And then, but very, very quickly, like as yeah. if, and as if, this is something that he works on on a daily basis, which really is very Andy to yeah. me. Like Andy seems like the kind of guy that would think Pig Latin is funny, and like just being Useful. able to to speak it fluently, if you will, uh, is is an impressive skill. Pam is absolutely flabbergasted by this exchange. And she's kind of sitting there with her mouth open. And she just says, oh, boy. And Andy tells her, you don't have to respond now. You just think about it. And he walks away. And as he walks away, he sort of pats Jim's shoulder. And Pam sees this. And then Jim turns around. And John Krasinski plays this really funnily. It's a very, very very slow turn. And he just has... His elbow is resting on his leg, and his chin is resting in his hand. And so he just kind of is in this position, just slow turns in his chair around to face Pam, but he's not looking at her until the very last minute, and he just kind of shoots his glance over to her. And so Pam realizes she's been set up. This is the prank. And it's it's kind of a, actually a nice moment between them because it's breaking the ice a little bit the end of last episode Jim tells her hey I'm seeing someone new and this episode opens with Pam having to watch Jim and Karen at the copier they're not doing anything they're just talking together so at least this helps to let Pam know okay we can still be friends a little bit. Like, if they're trying to just move on to this new path, maybe this is something fun. Yeah, because there is some... Tension isn't the right word, but awkwardness there because as Jim and Karen are having this interaction at the copier, Pam is, like, looking at Karen. staring. And, like, just in this forlorn puppy dog kind of look... She's putting two and two together that the person he's seen is Is, Karen. Right. And Jim does admit this to the camera in a one-on-one and says that they're trying to just keep it quiet because if certain people found out, it would be awkward. Meaning Pam. Right. And probably Michael because then he would tell everybody in the office. True. And this kind of flips to the other side of it later on in the episode 
because as Jim is continuing this prank, Jim pulls Andy aside and says, hey, got another tip for you. Do you play the guitar? And Andy says, well, I play the banjo. And Jim's like, even better. (laughs) And asks if Andy can sing in a high falsetto voice, to which Andy proves he can. Gives a demonstration. (laughs) Yes. And Jim encourages Andy to sing to Pam and Andy runs out to go get his banjo from his car. And it is at this point that Karen comes over to Jim's desk and says, what's going on? And Jim lets Karen in on the prank, but not the whole thing. He just says that he is sending Andy around to the women of the office with just terrible dating advice. And Karen's like, I want in. Who, who's the target? And Jim's like, well, I've, I've been sending him to Pam. And Karen's like, great, what do I got to do? Yeah, give me an assignment. What's next? And Jim kind of relents here and is like, well, I've been, I've been hitting Pam pretty hard here. Let's, let's move on to someone else. So he still wants this to be his thing. It is still his way to kind of, it's like, He's flirting with Pam through a third party. Yeah, and here's the thing. You just feel bad for poor Karen here because she has zero idea of what she's gotten into with Jim and Pam and their backstory. She doesn't know she just moved here. She just started dating Jim. She is really a very poor, innocent bystander here that probably for everyone, for the audience invested in Jim and Pam everyone's like ugh Karen yeah but she has done nothing wrong and but it is a little annoying let's say of Jim to yeah just not be able to leave well enough alone and to sort of not be fully invested in moving on from Pam yeah absolutely you know like he could have just told Karen more about it and really proved that he's going to truly go the friendship route with Pam. He is leaving the closure door slightly cracked by not having the conversation with Karen that, hey, I used to have a thing for Pam. I told her so. Yeah. But she was engaged and she shot me down that was right before i came to stamford and i have to imagine karen be like okay sure well how do you feel about it now mm-hmm. and it is at this point that jim would have to confront this situation it's either well i still kind of like her and the relationship with karen is over yeah or i really want to move on i am working towards moving on and karen would then work with him to do that yeah and that's that's that. That's the end of Jim and Pam. As we'll see, Jim does not do that. But there are a lot of other people that know. And so his hand is forced in such a way that he has to keep reassuring Karen of their relationship. And that is on Jim. Absolutely. We'll get there. Yeah. Michael has had about enough of people thinking that prison life is better than their work life and he decides to implement a few things 
to show people just how great they have it at Dunder Mifflin. Not necessarily that, but just how bad prison is Mm -hmm. compared to Dunder Mifflin. He says, all right, you guys want some outdoor time? Let's go right now. One hour of outdoor time. And this very clearly is in a winter time setting because everyone has to get very bundled up and they go outside and they're all just standing there looking miserable because it is so cold out. Yes. And they don't even last the full hour of outdoor time. They last about 30 minutes. Yeah. And Michael says, you know what? We can, you know, we can exercise while we're out here. And he opens his trunk and he pulls out some like plastic hand weights very very small two and a half pounds yes and jim asked him are those fives and michael's like no they're they're two and a halfs i'm I'm going for tone not bulk (laughs) and stanley the consummate grump is like that's it i'm done with this i'm getting out of here and michael agrees He's, he's like this is terrible it's freezing let's go inside this leads to a meeting in the conference room and an introduction to probably, in my opinion, the all-time best Michael Scott character. Shay Sharano's book, Conference Room, Five Minutes, does a ranking of Michael Scott characters. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering correctly, that Prison Mike is the number one character. Is it? Yes. It really is the most fleshed out of all the characters. The only other character I can think of is Michael Klump. And there's not depth to Michael Klump. No, like there is for prison Mike. So Michael just starts just as Michael. He's starting this, this conference room meeting and he says, I just want you to meet someone that can really tell you a little bit more about prison. So he turns around and he puts on a purple bandana. And he has transformed into Prison Mike with an accent, kind of a, I don't know, Jersey, Jersey type accent. A, a very Sopranos adjacent yeah. accent. Um, and he starts out kind of hot. He's, he screams that he's there to scare them straight. So um, was that a show? Yeah, Scared okay. Straight. Scared was, Straight, yeah. But he takes it very literally. So that show featured actual prisoners talking to troubled youths yeah, generally like, like gang me- kids in gangs who are yeah. like 13 14 15 years old yeah. and it generally did feature a lot of yelling <laughs> a lot of these guys yelling directly in the faces of these kids but they were saying things they were <laughs> saying like scary stuff about prison life and about like essentially calling these kids out is like you think you're right. you think you're hard yeah you you know you're nothing compared to the people are in here you're nothing compared to me this is the stuff that i did blah blah blah, blah. it they did not yell in their face i'm here to scare you straight which is what michael does That's here the tact that michael starts with then he makes a very unfortunate sexual assault joke to ryan telling ryan that he would be the bell of the ball the bell of the ball and unfortunately says don't drop the soap 
everyone's getting a little uneasy here because he also Angela is having none of it and she says you expect us to believe that you're somebody else and yes. he says do you, want me, do you expect me to believe I won't push you up into the wall biatch and everyone's like oh okay yeah. okay Michael Jesus it's just how we talk it's just how we talk in the clink yeah so he's just really rolling with whatever comes in his head here uh, all those improv classes are coming in handy and so Jim asks What'd you do to get into prison? Michael's response is that he stole and he robbed and he kidnapped the president's son for ransom, but that he never got caught. <laughs> Two things here, obviously. Right. One, that would have been a pretty big story if the president's <laughs> son got kidnapped. Also, there was not a president that had a son that... The last president that had a son would have been George H.W. Bush, and his sons would have been quite old at that point. Um, and even before that, Reagan Carter. Yeah, not many presidents have had sons. Let's just say that. Yeah. The second thing of this, which is what Jim brings up, is, but you did time in prison, <laughs> right, so. so how did you not get caught? Which is it? And Michael glosses over this. My absolute favorite part of this whole thing is when Pam asked Prison Mike, what was the worst part of prison? <laughs> and he just responds, without missing a beat really, the Dementors, they were just flying around and it was terrible. And everyone's like, what? The Dementors like in Harry Potter? I don't know if it has been brought up on this podcast <laughs> yet, but Antoinette is a huge Harry Potter fan. And yes. so this is just an intersection of her two favorite things in the world. <laughs> and it's because he was trying to be so serious right. about it at first. And then he just took this turn and people are like, no. The, yes, the entire thing is ridiculous. But there has at least been a semblance of believability to it. Until Michael enacts the supernatural in it, and it's like, okay. There was, so, just a story about this quote. About a month ago, where we live, it was, like, just really foggy and gross all day, every day, for about a week, which is just like it was in the beginning of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince because there was Dementors all throughout London, but muggles can't see them. And so I texted Curtis. I was like, man, I wish the Dementors would go away. And I didn't get it. Yeah, he didn't know what I was talking about. but he I, just I, knew, I knew what you were talking about. I know the Dementors are from Harry Potter. Right. They didn't know like why that mattered for the fog or sure. anything. And then he just brought up <laughs> the prison mic. And that's the worst thing about prison. Yeah. So it all ends by Michael taking off the bandana, turning back around, and coming back to them as Michael. And everyone's like, oh, man, thanks for sharing your experience with us. One note I wanted, I wanted to make here is that people very quickly drop the guys that this is serious. <laughs> this is pure entertainment for everyone. And this is most notable by Stanley, who stops doing his crossword or word search or whatever book that he brings with. And he leads in and just <laughs> is like... 
oh, this is going to be good. I got to check this out. Yeah, he's going to be entertained, actually, by the way. Yes. Oh, that's pretty good. So, yes, Michael comes back as regular Mike and is just like, so now I hope you all know that Dunder like that working here is better than prison. Yes. You have it pretty good here. And Martin chimes in and is like, well, sure, some of those things I have seen on TV, but really that wasn't that bad. Martin just can't let it go. He says that wasn't his experience in prison at all. And Michael gets very upset here. And he's like, you guys want to know what it's like in prison? Fine. And he locks them all in the conference yeah. room. Yeah, he goes out outside of the conference room and locks the door. Which really crosses the line. Everybody, this is this is now not entertaining for anybody because they're locked inside a room with other people. The only way they get out is when Pam calls Toby, who has apparently not been invited to this meeting with Prison Mike. Uh, probably good for Michael, I guess. And Toby comes and convinces Michael that everyone's just teasing him. They really don't think that this place is worse than prison. He needs to let them out. And Michael kind of is like, oh, okay, I guess they were teasing me. We're all friends again. He lets them out and he tells everyone, good work today, like he does when he usually ruins something and makes everyone upset. Yeah, it's quite literally the exact same thing that happened in the last episode when he, when the integration celebration went awry. <laughs> And everyone, like he is standing outside the door and everybody is just walking past him, not looking at him and just have the most disgusted look on their faces. Yeah, because he's wasted their time yet again. Yeah. And this, I think, is a very apt time to bring up a development on the internet recently. So with everyone being basically locked in their houses... It is a great time for everyone to basically just stream Netflix, Hulu, any streaming service that they have and just watch, binge watch shows. So the website, The Ringer, decided to have a March Madness style tournament since we are being robbed of that as well, the actual March Madness, a March Madness bracket of the best TV characters of the 2000s, essentially. Of the century. Of the century. So of the 2000s. Of the 2000s. They've done this before with the most annoying TV kid. Yeah. And the tournament ended, I believe... Yesterday morning. Yeah, we are recording this on a Sunday morning. And it ended... Yeah, yesterday morning. The final was Michael Scott versus Walter White, and Michael wins. Now, I have issue with this result. I I did not vote for Michael in the final. I do think, though, that this episode, this is the perfect episode to be watching as this is happening, because this is the perfect episode to realize why Michael Scott should have won that tournament and why in my opinion michael scott should have been out 
early in that tournament. Flesh that out for, for us. So, why he should have won. Why Michael Scott is a great character. And I'm going to... I, the way I approach this is how compelling the character is, but also how well that character is played by the actor or actress playing them. Okay. Steve Carell is a force in the prison mic section of this episode. He just is flawless. He is not missing a beat. Every answer he gives and the voice that he's doing it in and the delivery is perfect. It's hilarious. However, it is also an example of why Michael Scott is an awful, awful person. Yeah. This entire entire episode, really. He is viewing Martin in a box. He sees him as a black man, and that's it. And now a black convict. Right. And then he goes out of his way to piss off his employees and then sees no, has no recognition as to what he has done and why maybe his employees aren't that happy with him. Yeah, because they don't see him as their best friend, as their family, as all those things that make Michael who he is, this just lonely person. Yeah. And if that's the character that the writers wanted Michael him to be, then great. They are pulling that off flawlessly. If they are trying to make you hate Michael and have you relate with the employees in hating Michael and just kind of putting yourself in that situation and be like, you know what? I have a boss that I don't really like either. Then great. They've done a great job of that. But that's not what they do throughout this show. They make Michael a sympathetic character later on in this show. And it doesn't work for all the groundwork they have laid in in the early seasons. Playing him up as this awful person. They actually, in relation to this tournament, they had an article or just a little more explainer about Michael Scott. They really softened his character from the opening season from season one even from season two so they brought in a lot of his 40 year old virgin character and how he played that into the michael scott character yeah kind of took down a notch some of that just if you remember back to season one this just think of um diversity day michael that's it that is you he is no longer a sympathetic character after that episode. You can't forget that. And that's the thing where they really tried to kind of take another turn here. Um, and we've said this before. You know, we said this with Gay Witch Hunt. If you're Oscar, how are you? You are really being the bigger person. And you are really this zen, you know, meditative type mind to let that all go. To be able to come back into that workplace and be like, it's fine working with this boss, no big deal. Um, And we are happy for Michael in later seasons when his life does change. We are sad when he leaves 
And I think that's because of this shift that they have taken throughout the season. Yes, but I have said this before. And if I'm saying if, and I understand that it's a TV show and it's not real. <laughs> and you have to suspend reality here. Sure. But knowing this, if just the last two episodes, the conference room right. things in the last two episodes where Michael just could not realize why Tony didn't want to get up on that table and then further went on to embarrass Tony in front of everyone. Right. And then when Michael locks everybody in the conference room because they don't think that Dunder Mifflin is, that isn't the, just the greatest place on earth. Right. Remembering those things... None of those people are going to help Michael propose to his girlfriend. I know. I know. That's and do thing. so in a very heartfelt, drawn-out way. Right. That's not happening. And so I can't think of Michael as this good character because he's not that deep of a character. Well, and The Office has sort of had this second life in The Ringer's had several articles about that because it was the 15th anniversary of the premiere of the show uh, just last week, I think. The fact that it's been on Netflix, but it's also been on TBS and Comedy Central and there's just been this syndication is that it never left. Yeah. Um, There's never had to be a nostalgia bump like there has with Friends because it's just always been there. And now because it's been on Netflix for so long... Gen Z people are finding it. People that weren't even alive, potentially, or cognizant when the show was actually premiering and airing in its heyday are now, like, super fans of the show. And I think that's why the bracket went as it is. Like, people participating in this bracket are people sort of like us that unfortunately don't have anything else really going on in their quarantine. Right. And I commented on this on, at twi- on Twitter and said that Michael is a misogynist, he's a racist, and he's a narcissist. He's a terrible person. He shouldn't even have made it past the first round. And I had a friend comment back to me and it's just like, well, since this character is making you feel that way, doesn't that speak to how good of a character he is and I would argue that no this isn't a wrestling heel (laughs) this is not a wrestling bad guy whose character the point of his character is to make you hate him no or her I have a I I have a lot of sympathy for Michael because as we've talked before in like the take your daughter to work day episode this is a very lonely man. Sure, play that up all you want. And loneliness kills. And loneliness doesn't make you a racist. No, it or doesn't. Or a misogynist. It does not. That is true. Michael sexually harasses a woman in this episode. I, I, I hear you. I don't disagree with you. He has all these terrible qualities. It's just they play the loneliness card just enough, um, and. Having one, just having one person to talk to or be your actual genuine friend can make a difference in someone's life. 
Absolutely. And so that's where, like, I keep coming back to where I'm like, this man's going to die of loneliness. <laughs> and I do see what you said about how they kind of shifted towards Michael being a more sympathetic character. Yeah, a little softer. And I do think that they are slow playing that because something I've noticed with this season, and it makes a little more sense with what you just said, the writers are playing up kind of just the how dumb Michael is and just how clueless he is to just about everything. He doesn't, he's not very emotionally intelligent, just, you know, doesn't have a lot of smarts. Um, He's just pretty simple. So let's go through, to get back to the bracket, let's go through who Michael defeated to get to the winner of this bracket. Michael was the one seed, so the 16 seed that he went up against is Wags, which is a character from Billions, is from oh, what I've read. I have not watched that show. I, neither have I, so I can't accurately speak to this matchup. The second character is Charlie Kelly from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I haven't seen that show. I have seen it. Not all of it, but enough to make a educated assessment of this. I would still give it to Michael in this situation i guess okay however i don't think michael has had a single episode better than one that charlie had when the health inspector was coming to inspect the bar so if you've seen that episode you know what i'm talking about his next round was against saul goodman and i think this is definitely where he loses you think he loses to saul goodman yes i haven't seen Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. However, Saul is a pretty compelling character in Breaking Bad. He is a very interesting character, at least. Yeah, I still think that Michael's winning that matchup, though. I think if you... And again, we haven't seen yeah, Better Call Saul. if we've seen I have either. heard, though, that Bob Odenkirk is fantastic in it. Right. And that it is a very good show. Some people have even said it is approaching being better than Breaking Bad. We need to watch that. Yeah. So I think when you can take a look at both of those things, Hmm. I think he beats Michael here. Okay. He then faces Omar Little from The Wire. See, I would pick Omar over Michael. Um, It's hard, and Curtis and I have talked about this, it's hard to do a drama versus a comedy a little bit. Yeah. Because a lot of times dramatic characters are a little bit more fleshed out. But then I'm just trying to think of it as just like the best TV character, no matter like what, just no hold bar sort of thing. But Omar, um, he was menacing. He was multifaceted. And he was one of the first gay characters, I think, on TV. Um and that is, I think that's something to be said. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's a tough matchup for me. I mean, personally, the person, I think Tony Soprano should have won the whole thing. Sure. Second, Walter White. Yeah. But. So after Omar, Michael faces Ron Swanson. And I would argue that Ron Swanson is what the writers of the office wanted michael to be later on no i completely disagree with that ron 
is a guy that has, I wouldn't say questionable political views, but he's just a libertarian. He's a libertarian. Ron is kind of this gruff, somewhat off-putting man that has this heart of gold that truly cares for the people he works with because he cares about them. Yeah, he's gotten to know them and their life. Right. Whereas I don't think that's necessarily Michael. Michael doesn't care in the early seasons. Michael doesn't care about people's lives. He just wants to see them as friends. He just wants to have people near him. Sure. And he just wants to be cool. Yeah. So I I stick to my assessment that Ron is the better character than Michael because he is a better version of the same character. I think they're very different characters, but I can maybe see some of your point. And then in the final, Michael faces Walter White, who is probably one of the more complex characters ever put on TV. Agree. I think Walter should have won that matchup. For sure. Mostly because he... Walter White is the kind of... He is is the epitome of an anti-hero, I would say. I wouldn't even put so Tony Soprano as he's kind of he's he's a better anti-hero than Tony Soprano, which is no? No, The Sopranos is the best show to have ever aired on television. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, the is a it's a fascinating story of a man trying to do right by his family by doing something illegal using the things he knows but then he realizes he just enjoys a, yes doing yes and then it is a and then it is a slippery slope from there and yes his character evolves to i just like doing this well and i just think breaking bad is just one of the in my opinion some people think breaking bad is boring and i do not share that opinion i think it's one of the best written shows that have that's ever aired you know Breaking Bad and The Sopranos um, to me are just very good compelling TV but that's where you get into the drama versus comedy sort of thing because I'm not watching Breaking Bad for the same reasons that I'm watching The Office. For sure it is it is a potentially a not a fair comparison. That's That's where it's very difficult to do the best TV character and have it in total. I you know there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about like you said the Ron Swanson versus Michael Scott sort of character and it's just hard to take someone out of their show and maybe that's why I wouldn't be good at being a writer for the ringer but it's just difficult to take someone out of the context of their show out of the context of the other characters and to just judge them in in some off of just them Just this one character. Yeah. Because then can you say, you know, would Ron Swanson, you know, being in the Final Four, is Ron Swanson even the best TV character on his own show? I would say in terms of characters in depth, yes, I would say. I don't think it's close, personally. I think Ron is probably the only multi-dimensional character on that show. Sure. So, yeah, it's just hard. It's just funny to me that Michael did win, and I think that just speaks more to um, who's watched what shows because there was a lot of characters 
in that bracket that I didn't know anything about because I haven't seen those shows. Yeah, I, I think that just judging off of results, people were voting for shows, not necessarily for characters. Yeah, um, but it's very interesting. It's telling of that Michael won because it's just, again, we've been riding this office popularity wave and it's really been resurgent especially with like Billie Eilish and people of that generation who have found the office and just think it's just the bee's knees sort of thing and they it's just so funny because as we've talked before some of the references are now 15 years old yeah and the technology is older and people don't work in office offices in the same way anymore so it's just hilarious to me that these children and that's what they're like 15 to 20 years old these children think this show is so great yeah like the thing with the references michael's ringtone from last episode of my humps by the black eyed peas that's not a that's not a song that has stood the test of time what is that from like 2006 right so it's very possible that Someone who is watching this show and like enjoying it for the first time has no cognizant recollection of that song. Like yeah. they were alive when it when it came out, but like they may not have ever heard mm-hmm. remember of hearing that song and then here it is as Michael's ringtone. Right. And I'm not saying that people of this generation cannot like The Office. What I'm marveling at is the fact that they love it so much, that they're so obsessed with it. You know, Curtis and I can watch Cheers and really enjoy it. I just don't think we're going to go out and buy, like, Cheers or MASH or whatever memorabilia. Which is ironic because we kind of do have Cheers memorabilia from the time we went to the bar in Boston. Correct. Cheers bar. So to get back to the episode, this all culminates in Martin quitting. Martin quits. I know. Martin leaves. Like I said, I think he laid his own bed a little bit, though. He just kept pushing the issue with Michael. And as Michael was explaining to the camera, he didn't really like Martin by the end. And that's because he kept contradicting him. Okay, yeah, sure. But you can't blame Martin for leaving because... This is that's who he is now. Like he is never going to escape that For label. Sure. And I think he realized in the mind, like in the minds of Michael, everybody else will probably move on. Right. And probably not Angela or Dwight, but everyone else is going to be like, okay, he's just a guy, but he will always be the convict to Michael. Definitely. So with that, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So only a couple here. Uh, This was the first and only script written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, the creators of the British version of The Office. Um, They really had to be coaxed into writing the script in the first place by Greg Daniels, the creator of the American version. And as we've said before, it's not actually cold in Culver City, California, where they're shooting this. So they brought like kind of fake snow and made it look like it was the middle of winter in Pennsylvania. They all sold it well. Like yeah, they, they, they really found a, a cloudy day in L.A. or maybe they shot it before 10 a.m. Oh, when right. the, when all the, uh, the, smog. the smog is still out. Um, but yeah, everybody sells it that they're, they are cold. I believed it. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have a Dundee, Curtis? Firing. So we do have a firing this episode, and it is Michael. You can kind of... This is another episode where you can kind of take your pick as to why know, you want be, Michael to leave. But his first firing comes from essentially telling Hannah to get her breast out to feed her baby. Um, it is his fourth firing of this season, and it is his 17th overall. <laughs> Do you have a Dundee to give out for this episode? Yes. Uh, you sort of touched on it earlier, but my Dundee is the best intersection of... My favorite things being Harry Potter and The Office when Prison Mike talks about the Dementors. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the jack of all trades, and it goes to Andy. <laughs> he, honestly, it's it's kind of amazing how, and if we, if you were taking it away from the scope of plot convenience, but it is kind of amazing how perfect Andy is to be the thing that Pam hates so much. Like it is, he is very enthused about just about everything that Pam dislikes. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and he is also apparently good at these things. He is a pretty good banjo player. Mm -hmm. He's not the best singer. Well, from what we see here, I think that, I do think that Ed Helms is a pretty good singer in times where like he he actually does sing in Mm -hmm. roles but yeah he's a good singer but yes his his love for frisbee golf and the fact that he was good enough to found a frisbee golf club at at cornell um yeah he is he is an accomplished gentleman in just some very odd things who is your employee of the month my employee of the month is Pam, basically just for allowing herself to go along with this prank. I think it would be very easy for a person to get upset and annoyed at mm-hmm. something like this. But she, seeing the source that it is coming from and the kind of where it is coming from, from Jim's point of view, I think she's just like, well played. Tip of the cap. Yeah. I I can't be mad at this. I chose Pam also for the same reasons and just for sort of allowing them to develop a friendship and just move that that forward. So that does it for this week's episode. It was a long one. Yes. A lot to talk about here. If only because of the recent development of the character bracket on the on the ringer so please be sure to follow us on twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and to keep listening on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts be sure to rate subscribe and comment to help get our name out there we appreciate you listening we hope you are all staying safe And we appreciate that you are using your quarantine time with us. Be safe, stay inside, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.